Welcome to Teach Em Up, the podcast about teaching and learning. I'm Nick Williams. Today, I would like to make the case for two related teaching strategies slash philosophies. Uh, number one, giving students the freedom to do great things. And number two, getting students outside or really just being outside generally, whether you're a student or a teacher or just a human being, outside is great. Spend more time outside. Okay, so let's start with part one, giving students the freedom to do great things. I've been thinking about this one a lot since yesterday because yesterday our school lost power and I've been teaching from my classroom so it's kind of a big deal when school loses power and you are teaching remotely because the internet stops working. Normally, we lose power and the kids are in class and we say, no big deal, let's just keep doing what we're doing. It is slightly darker. However, when you're teaching remotely and uh, teaching through Zoom and power goes out right before your next class starts, you can't get on Zoom and thus you cannot interact with your kids. So the power went out at uh, 10.40 Class starts at 10.40, and I wasn't able to find a corner of campus where I could pull some internet until about 10.55. So I was 15 minutes late logging on to my second class of the day. And then I logged on. I was sitting outside the cafeteria on the sidewalk on like the student walkway between the cafeteria and the library, squinting at my screen because I happened to find a little pocket of internet. Um, log on to Zoom, and who is waiting for me but every single one of my students just chilling, waiting in Zoom, working away on their vehicles because we're building some alternative energy cars. It was so dope. Just the absolute highlight of my day. And why the heck were they still there? I assume because they felt like we were going to do something that mattered. I was 15 minutes late. There wasn't a guarantee that I was even showing up. They didn't know that I lost power, although the whole neighborhood had lost power and many of them, I would assume, live in the neighborhood around the school. But a bunch of them don't and everybody just continued to be there. Even the ones who were in places that lost power um, near the school, they were on their, on their phone. They had figured out some way to start a hotspot so that they could be there. So that brings us to our first idea. Especially during our period of remote teaching and as we shift into hybrid teaching, I think it's so tempting to try to control everything, to give students really uh, discrete tasks, worksheets to complete, assignments that have a specific due date, with the idea that this is something that they can do independently and they can turn in even if I'm not there. Um, there's also a really big temptation to oversee all of the work that students are doing, to want them to be on Zoom all the time and to be able to show you, here's what I'm working on. Like I've heard of teachers asking students to tilt their cameras down so they can see that students are taking the test without cheating or um, you know, to, to show exactly what's happening all the time. And I feel like that's making a mistake. And I think it's making a mistake for a few reasons. Number one, Students should want to do the work and want to do it well. If the work is gratifying in and of itself, I think we have to give the students the opportunity to do it in an interesting way that'll make sense for them. So one of the things that I've found to be really effective um, is giving students kind of like a big overarching task, something like a fun problem to solve, something where they can have a little bit of creativity. Um, this really boils down to project-based learning, um, but something big where they're working on something that matters. 
and then giving them the freedom to explore it in all of the ways that they want to explore it. So right now, my students are working on uh, designing some alternative energy vehicles. I gave them very few restrictions. Um, the task is that they have to create a pitch to the Hyundai Auto Company about how to uh, transport two passengers five meters exactly and stop them right on the five meter mark. And Hyundai is looking for an alternative energy uh, storage system. Um, so students need to use some kind of alternative energy source. Basically, I told them no nuclear power and no chemical energy. And no chemical energy basically just means no gas engines and no batteries, because those are well-established technologies, and I'd like you to kind of explore something a little bit new. And then students were able to go through the entire design process themselves. So the goal is I want them to learn how to create an energy transfer system and then use that energy transfer system and analyze where did all of the energy go? Because energy is one of these cross-cutting concepts, um, huge ideas in science, and there's a couple uh, standards in physics about creating a device that transfers energy from one form to the other, and then being able to identify where all of the energy has transferred and create a model of how the energy transferred. So this is one way of doing that. So I have students going about this in so many different ways. They're working in small groups of three or four, and they're all working on similar ideas within their group, but each group is attacking it in totally different ways. I have some groups who are creating vehicles with big sails on them, and the sails are being pushed by like a fan, and so it's basically like a car with uh, a sail on top of it. I have other groups that are using spring potential energy and using rubber bands. I have groups that are using spring potential energy and using um, uh, mouse traps. I have groups that are using um, gravitational potential energy, and so they're running down a ramp and then forwards for five meters. I've got students designing braking systems. I've got students designing like gondolas. Um, so either gondolas that are gravitationally powered or gondolas that are spring powered, or uh, one group is even trying to create a gondola that's almost powered by a maglev system. So like um, current that pulls on magnetic uh, pieces that then pull it across a wire. So really, really cool stuff. But in order to make this work, um, I give them the task. I give them a lot of resources to help structure their planning. So we go through a lot of steps together in terms of planning it out. But then in terms of actually doing it, there's a lot of, okay, go do it. Find some supplies around the house. Maybe it's toilet paper rolls. Maybe it's some pens. Um, you need something to be a, a wheel. So maybe you can cut that out of cardboard, use a bowl and trace it on cardboard. Um, so a lot of it, they're walking around the house, they're finding things, and then once they've got something, it's, okay, go test it. Find uh, 16 feet somewhere in your house, maybe down the hall, maybe down the middle of your kitchen, um, and run your car along that 16 feet. Mark it out with tape, or go outside and chalk it on the sidewalk and run your car there. So I have some kids who are outside, and they've got strings tied to trees, and they're running their little um, their gondola system across this string in their backyard, it's awesome. Sometimes they take their laptop with them and just kind of prop it up in the doorway so that I can see that they're out there. Other times they go and they do it and then they come back and ask me a question when that comes up. 
But giving students the freedom to do the right thing and to explore really interesting problems leads to way more student engagement and way more interesting stuff happening. If I insisted that everything was done right in front of me, I just wouldn't get the same creative thought. Students wouldn't be the ones who are really powering the learning. They would just be copying whatever I told them to do. So one thing that I would encourage is give students the power to really take ownership of their learning. And the only way to do that is by giving them the freedom to explore those interesting side questions and letting them kind of go wild and design something. I've had a few students who have asked like, hey, I know you said no chemical energy. I have this idea where a candle would have to heat something up. Um, and my response was just like, yes, go do that. I know that technically a candle burning is chemical energy, but this sounds interesting and like you're gonna pursue something that might really teach you something. So yeah, let's do it. Let's see what you can do um, with some thermal energy from the candle through a chemical format. And then we'll figure out, huh, how are we actually gonna find how much energy was put off by that candle? Are we gonna have to do the mass of the candle before we burned it and after it? Are we gonna take the temperature of the piece of metal that you heated up or the water that you heated up? I don't know. But we can go through that and they'll learn, you know, what are we really talking about when we talk about energy? And that's the big goal, right? The goal is to get the students thinking, the students doing, the students owning the learning. So that's my little pitch and it's especially relevant during remote teaching, but really, it's re relevant all the time, right? In class, it's something that I want students to do too. I don't want them just sitting in their desks copying everything that I say down. I want them out there testing stuff and trying things. So the final piece is uh, to kind of think about getting students outside. Our school and our district are starting to uh, consider coming back in person and in hybrid in January. Now, I'm not super optimistic, to be perfectly honest, because I can read a graph and I can read a data table and I know what's happening with uh, COVID-19 cases currently across the nation and in California. Uh, Marin County, we're doing pretty well right now, but we'll see. I would love to be back in person. And so as we're talking about coming back in person, one of the things that we're thinking about is how do we keep students safe in person. And there basically seems to be a couple of options. Option one is students just don't move. Students sit in their chair. Um, there is no getting up. They're, that way we can ensure that they have their mask on and that they are six feet away from other people at all times. That sucks. The other option is we take students outside. And that's one that I would really encourage we have this opportunity to be outside and to really rethink how we think and learn. And being outside is really, really good for you. It's healthy to be in the fresh air, and it's mentally healthy to be outside with nature. Now, I recognize that I am coming at this uh, from the privilege of living in California, where outside is pretty awesome. Uh, specifically, I live in Marin County and northern Marin County and Novato, so we have like beautiful open space everywhere around us and we may as well take advantage of it. And our campus is beautifully laid out, so there are large outside spaces where students can gather without getting too close to each other. When we have the opportunity, there's an awful lot of learning that we can do outdoors. Students just created some trebuchets um, for projectile motion, 
and then we could go outside and test those trebuchets. Students were making physics of sports videos, uh, learning about forces and uh, horizontal and vertical velocities and total velocities. And so I had them outside throwing balls and kicking things at their houses, but it would be great to also be able to do it in person. So for a lot of what we're teaching, we don't necessarily need a whiteboard right in front of us. We can do it with experiential pieces, um, and it doesn't have to be like we're going on a huge field trip, right? You don't have to climb to the top of a mountain to be successfully outside, but kids can learn stuff by doing. From my own two kids, I know that what they're really loving about being back in school right now, and they've only been back for a week or two weeks, um, their, their schools started back up November 9th and November 30th, and they are in first and third grade. But one of the things that they're really loving is recess. They just get to be outside and run around with their masks on, staying distant from their friends, but at least they're running around and interacting. Um, and I think that's a tremendous piece of where learning is happening right now, uh, social emotional learning and academic learning, where they're learning how to interact again. Um, and they're learning kind of like how the world works. So. It's something that I think we can do in an awful lot of our classes, taking kids outside, having them actually do some stuff, and then sitting down and analyzing what they just did. We know that students learn by doing, so let's give them the opportunity to do that, sometimes outside, sometimes inside. I imagine that as my students come back, we're going to do a lot of walking back and forth in and out of doors. Sometimes we'll want to be sitting at our desk so that we can do some analysis. Sometimes we might just take our laptops outside, take our notebooks outside, and do the analysis outside. Let's kick a ball, see what happens to it, and then see if we can create a model of what happened there. We have very few rainy days where it would be so unpleasant outside. We can make it work. And uh, if it's cold, we'll wear some sweatshirts, we'll wear a jacket. Um, we're not getting snow here in California. So worst case scenario, we have a little bit of rain and some wind. Actually, the wind is probably more of an issue than the rain. And so we deal, right? Wear a rain jacket, um, get a windbreaker, and learn together in community outdoors. So that's my pitch for this week. Get kids outside and give them the freedom to do the interesting stuff and take ownership of their own learning.